the thing about practicing writing is it means you have to throw out words, right? And that's hard to do because you've committed the word to the page, whether it's, you know, physical page or electronic page. Once you've committed it, it feels like you should save it, but you really, there are so many words you're going to cut. You're going to cut as many words as you, as you publish in your career as an author. So getting used to just cutting words is, is good habit. When I'm editing, I, I have a file called uh, excised material. So I come along and if I find a whole chunk of writing, that's like, this just does not need to be in this novel. I cut it out and I paste it in this other document just so it's there. So I haven't thrown it out. I can go back to it. If I wanted, I have never, ever gone and taken words out of excised material and put them back in a novel. JCB Art Studio, Season 4. My name is Joanna, and I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. I have a little update on the Aussie and Pepper Chronicles, my two mini schnauzers. Besides Pepper losing a tooth, he's become Houdini, and he now knows how to escape out of his little little crate when I'm recording. Yep, he sticks his little paw through pushes on the lever and it pops up the latch and he's like, (laughs) so (laughs) yeah, when he gets a little bigger, he can be in the studio, but right now I want to make sure he doesn't eat my aloe vera plant or any of my orchids. But today I have Jennifer Landels joining me. Jennifer wears so many hats from author literary magazine publisher, where she is also the managing editor. And she can also teach you swordplay on horseback with, now this is actually one word I should have asked her the, gone over the pronunciation, Academy Cavallo at Cornwall Ridge Farm in Langley, BC. Jennifer has a BA in Medieval English Literature from UBC. And she may someday return to her doctorate in Arthurian Romance at University College London. You may have seen her um, at different conferences. She's been a keynote speaker at numerous events, including Wright Vancouver, the Royal City Art Society, VCon, and other conferences. Oh, and, and also the Creative Inc. Festival. 
She's traveled to France, Germany, the UK, and the US to speak and teach. Her debut fantasy novel, Alenia's Song, Overture, was an Amazon bestseller, and the sequel, Alenia's Song Aria, was published in 2020. Jennifer, welcome. I am so looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Joanna. I'm looking forward to it, too. Good, good. So I'm going to start with a very basic question. I thought I was busy. Where do you find the time? How do you organize your time? How do you stay organized? How how do you do it? Well, you're presuming that I am organized, first of all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, well... I, I cram things into nooks and crannies of space where I have them. I, you know, I've often thought that I should just prioritize, prioritize. I should, you know, pick what I really love to do and focus on that. But I really love to do all the things I do. So um, I just, I make the time. Um, I love to write. I mean, I guess writing is my, is my main lifelong thing. Um, but I'm very fond of publishing the magazine um, and, you know, riding, riding sword, you know, riding horses and swinging swords is, um, again, something that even as a child I was fascinated with. So it's kind of part of me. <laughs> it's so cool. And we're going to talk about all of that. And I agree with you about doing things in the nooks and crannies of time. I'm taking an editor's course and on the ferry coming back from Vancouver, I was doing homework. So yeah, you you just find, find the time. Yeah. So let's start with pulp literature. You publish novels in addition to a quarterly magazine. And I saw that Mel Anas, now this is a Greek name, isn't it? Anastasia. Anastasia. Okay. Her novel. The Extra, a Monuments Studio Mystery, is out now. I love the cover. And I was wondering, how many novels do you publish a year? Or how does all that work? Um, we don't We don't publish many, usually one or two a year. Um, and we took a bit of a break during the pandemic. Um, Aria came out in April 2020, which was really difficult um, because we couldn't launch it, do any launches in person. Uh, So since then, this, the extra was scheduled to come out and we kept putting it off, putting off. So we, it is finally out now. It's just, uh, just uh, released on Amazon on Monday. Okay. Um, I just received the, uh, the print proof yesterday. Uh, And thank you. Uh, The cover, the cover is actually painted by, um, my talented daughter, Kate, who is also our cover designer. So she does, she designs the the cover font and layout for the magazine and, and the novels. Wow. And for this one, she painted it too. <laughs> wow. Uh, the art, like each issue, the covers of those magazines, they are stunning. Oh, thank stunning. you. Stunning. Okay. Yeah, I have I I do that is my favorite job is is I get to pick the cover art for every issue. I'm I'm the one who hunts down the artists and and chooses them and 
that that is my favorite part of the job is is getting those amazing pieces of art in um yeah and it's it started like when we were doing our first issue we we're well what are we going to do for cover art and i i stumbled upon melissa mary duncan and here's where here's where doing many things helps because it was a sword play connection that i found her through she was doing um she was just mentioned in a in the academy duello facebook group or something i saw her art and it's like oh i love that and um I also decided that that was back in 2013. I also decided back then is that's who I want to do the cover art for my novels. So she did the cover for Overture, Aria, and Corral. Wow. Okay. So thinking of your magazine, the reviews. Oh, gosh. I was on the website and I was just, I got caught up, caught up in the scroll of uh-huh. the reviewers. Um, and one reviewer said, pulp literature reminds me of Michael Chabon's undertaking to revitalize contemporary literary writing with plot and narrative, which I completely appreciate and love. I was blown away by P.L.'s quality and richness. And this was from a man named Fletcher Vrindenberg from Blackgate. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was... Um... Yeah, that was issue 10, I think he reviewed. Um, that, so that was some time ago. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, he did pick up on the fact that was our 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 goal. Like, you know, we love we love literary magazines, but we joke, you know, we, I love a literary magazine, but I couldn't eat a whole one. Because <laughs> um, we found, you know, a lot of them are very heavy going and um and you know some beautiful writing, but not a lot of plot, and not a lot of um, you know, you know, you want that mix of storytelling and and lovely writing. Yeah. And we found like when we started the reason we started the magazine is there just wasn't a home for genre fiction in Canada. We have lots of wonderful literary magazines, but there's and we do have some specifically science fiction magazines like on spec and neoopsis but we don't have something that does all the genres so you know our we wanted to be like a smorgasbord where we've got mystery and fantasy and literary contemporary historical everything all between uh, one you know all between two covers so yeah it's uh we want that mix, but we really wanted it to be good quality writing. And we are picky. <laughs> In fact, Robert Runte, who's uh, Dr. Runte, is a, uh, he's a publisher as well. And, and that was the one thing he noted was, you guys are picky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, and you also hold, because I know of a certain listener out there, she just won a flash fiction contest through Sisters in Crime. That's what I belong oh, nice. to. So you hold short story contests as well? We do three short story contests and one poetry contest per year. So um, right now the Raven contest is open. That one is for fiction up to 2,500 words. Um, And that uh, is open for another couple of weeks, closes October 15th. So um, if there are uh, fiction writers out there, you can get it in. Um, And... uh, we also, 
with the contest, we also offer critiques. So you can just enter the contest, but you can also, if you want, pay $25 extra and get a literary critique, which is becoming more and more popular um, because it's, it's, you know, a critique is about an hour's worth of work, maybe two hours worth of work, which would normally be 50 to a hundred dollars at least. Yeah. Um, but you get it for $25 and, and, our editors are are really good at uh, at uh, <clears throat> bringing out you know finding finding the soft spots in stories and polishing them up and and bringing out the best in them. Cool. Okay. Okay. I have to share one more reviewer. I thought this was this was this was this was cute. And another reviewer had said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this person, that it was a great magazine. And only at the price of a beer. <laughs> I thought that was cute. And I think you have that. At- uh, that is our log line. Yeah. It's uh, uh, good books for the price of a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good. Which we did want it originally when we started the magazine, we wanted it to be cheaper, but printing costs are what they are. And there's, we can't really get around it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, when we originally launched it, with a Kickstarter, the magazines were $8 each. Um, and they're thick. So they're, yeah. they're, uh, um, you know, about uh, half an inch thick or a centimeter wow. thick. Wow. Um, so it's, you know, about 200 to 200 plus pages in every magazine. So it, it is a book essentially. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, you know, the price has gone up. It's, it's now, you know, $15 for a single issue, but you can get a, you know, a subscription for $50 in Canada. So. Okay. And yes. it can be purchased off your, the website. Yeah. Through the website. Yeah. Um, some bookstores, uh, we, we are distributed through magazines, Canada. So, you know, select newsstands and bookstores have us as well. And, and we also are on um, Amazon and Ingram. So you, Theoretically, you could order them through through any bookstore. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what inspired you? What made you decide I'm going to cre- like create a magazine? Was there an incident or was there, did you see that there, there was a need? There was like a, I don't want to say like a hole, but that you just saw there, there something was missing. What, what made you decide to do it? Well, um, there was beer involved. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there were three of us who, who started the magazine, Mel Anastasia and um, Susan Peters and myself were drinking beer on Mel's deck on, in Bowen Island. She, she lives on Bowen. Um, and we, you know, we were all writers. We had material that, you know, we were going through the, you know, sending out to agents, sending out to editors, things like that. But we also knew a lot of writers and we thought, and, and I had sort of thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a magazine kind of like fantasy and science fiction in the States, but, but for all genres, but that, that sort of pulpy quality, that sort of magazine quality. So you feel like you can, you could, you know, leave it at a coffee shop or pass it on to a friend. That was the original goal. So we ran a Kickstarter. We thought, well, let's see if this 
fl- will fly. Um, we knew some, uh, we knew some authors. So, so some fairly big name authors like CC Humphreys and JJ Lee were our first two authors uh, that we pegged for feature stories. And then for the rest of that first year, we also got Joan McLeod and Susanna Kearsley. And what we wanted from them was something was the shoebox story, you know, that story from a, an established author that maybe they have sitting under the bed or, or tucked away in an old file uh, that hasn't seen the light of day and could use a, a refresher. I was, I was out rehearsing um, with Chris Humphreys for, for the launch of his Shakespeare's Rebel. And we were doing a, a sort of a, a bit of stage acting at Bard on the Beach for it. And, and after rehearsal, we went out for a, um, went out for a beer, and I said, "Do you have any stories, short stories?" And he said, "Well, I do, but it's it's not historical fiction." And I said, "We don't want historical fiction from you. <laughs> um, we want something different." So he gave us a contemporary. I mean, I guess it is historical as it was set in the '80s, but very different from his usual um, swashbuckling historical fiction. Yeah. Um, you know, a story, a beautiful uh, called Where the Angels Wait, um, very much about his own experience, and um, but it, not memoir, uh, but it was a, a gorgeous story. That became our first feature story. And I, I also approached J.J. Lee, who, again, the contact I'd made through with him was through sword fighting because he'd interviewed me for an article, I think it was in Elle magazine or something um, about sort of the revival of medieval styles. I think it was when Game of Thrones was was taking off. So I had that contact. So I called him up and and we'd also chatted, before, you know, we got to know each other since then. But he was, he said, yeah, can I write a story about killer teddy bears? And it's like, <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> So he gave us our second story, Built to Love, about it was about the Internet of Things and and um, you know these uh, teddy bears that were designed to sort of monitor children, but then ended up being a little bit more sinister than that. Oh wow! Okay, that that sounds like a cool story. It is. <laughs> sounds like oh okay, okay. Now I'm an artist who enjoys fashion illustrations. And we were just talking a little bit before we started recording and about how I like illustrating motorcycles with the Copic markers. So you had said it was your, your daughter who does, oh, no, your daughter does some of the artwork. Uh, She did the cover for the extra. She did. um, And she does the cover, um, the, the cover layout and design for the magazines. Yeah. Um, and, uh, she's also, she also did the cover for one of other, another one of Mel's books, uh, Stella Ryman and the, or not, not the fair moment or the second Stella Ryman book, but, uh, uh, she doesn't do the interior art. That's, that's Mel. So Mel Anastasia is, does the bulk of the interior art, those, uh, the beautiful line, black and white line illustrations that you see inside the magazine, yeah. are all male. She's done a couple of co- covers for the magazine as well, issue eight and issue 27 off the top of my head. Wow. Okay. Okay. I was on author and Anthony Avina's blog when I was doing research. And it says on there that 
you always wrote, um, you say from when you were four, and we will get into your writing and your books. But I am curious because you're the only person I know. You fronted rock bands in the UK and Vancouver. Like, can you tell us, tell us which bands you fronted for? What, what was it like being in a rock? Okay, can I tell you why? Because I swore when I was 16 that I was going to have my own rock band because I absolutely loved Queen. Okay. <laughs> so... That never happened, uh, probably much to my mother's relief. So tell me, what, what, tell me about this experience. So it kind of fell into this by accident as well. Um, my, my partner of 35 years, um, who is, uh, is a fabulous guitarist, is, is, a, is an amazing guitarist. Um, but back when, uh, back when I was in UBC, some friends and I, uh, entered the lip sync contest and won um, with, uh, we made, uh, you know, replica cardboard guitars um, and we were uh, the Desperate Cannibal Amazon Love Dolls Unchained. <laughs> um, we were doing uh, covers of The Runaways Cherry Bomb and Joan Jett's Bad Reputation. Um, and, uh, and then we got asked uh, by a wonderful local band, the Scramblers. I don't know if anybody out there remembers them. Um, they were they were an amazing um, sort of, I guess you'd say hard rock uh, indie band. And uh, we actually opened for them a couple of times at Vancouver clubs. To in order to really sell this this air band we kind of learned the songs we kind of, you know, we kind of, and then it was like, well, I, you know, I want to do this for real. So I, I got my partner to teach me. Um, he's, you know, not a fabulous teacher. He's one of those people who, who knows how to do it so well that it's hard for him to teach, but you know, I got enough under my belt that once we moved to the UK, I went, I sort of joined a collective, um, at a sort of community center place when we were doing sound engineering and, and guitar. And finally I joined uh, a rock band, which was called Hellbent for Leather as rhythm guitar. That one broke apart as bands do. Um, and uh, after we'd record, we did record a couple of songs, uh, one of which I wrote. Um, and then uh, we formed another, some of us from that band formed another band called the sisterhood, which, also fell apart. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, these sorts of bands are not long, but it did a lot of gigging. And again, uh, it did a little bit of, a little bit of recording. And then finally I realized, well, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, with my partner, who's an amazing guitarist. The only reason we hadn't had him in any of the bands before is that it was always all girl bands. So it's like, well, we don't, you know, we can let guys in the band. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then we did a, a band called Mad Seraphim. We did some more recording. Um, we put out a couple of demos. Um, and then Chris and I moved back to Vancouver. And the last band we had here was called Stiff Bunnies. And I, we continued with that. And the last real gig I played was at the Vogue Theater when I was six months pregnant with my oh. first daughter. <laughs> 
and after that i pretty much uh you know it was uh I, I left music behind at that point my partner still plays he still has a band that sort of does you know the uh it's a cover band they do weddings and and special events things like that okay okay so how has that experience um does show up in your writing like does that experience do you find that experience you use that or channel that with your art with your writing with well my my main it's my novel is all about music yeah right it's um well I, I take this as a huge compliment that uh um jim jackson who's another writer who actually has the ability to read from his work and play guitar at the same time, which is something that I completely admire. Um, but he said um, of a piece that I read out that it was, it was the best written description of what it feels like to play music that he'd ever heard. Wow. So I, I take that as a huge compliment yeah. from him just because he is a musician and, and an accomplished, you know, writer and musician himself. So um so yeah, I, even though the type of music that uh, Elenia and her grandmother sing and play in my novels is very different from the type of music I played, there's there are commonalities. So the the magic system is all based around music. It's about resonant frequencies. Oh, okay. Because uh, yeah, we, uh, let's, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm thinking of your novels. When you write, do you write for yourself? Or do you write for your reader? I write. I initially the first draft I write for myself. Yeah, that because that's the only way I can get anything honest out on the page. Is I cannot be thinking about a reader when I'm writing first draft. I have to be thinking about what I need to tell. But second draft is all for the reader. Okay. So when I'm when I'm taking that first draft and cutting it apart and rearranging and and adding bits, that is that's no longer for me. I've done my therapy. I've got it out on the page. Now it's now it's time to to make it into something that somebody else would want to read. Okay. Can you tell us about Elena's song Overture and Elena's song Aria? And I'm hoping the listeners are picking up on the hints of music in the titles. And so you were saying, yeah, please take take it away. I will be quiet. <laughs> um, so uh, Elena's song is a it, it's three stories in one. It's the story of Elena, who's starts as she the opening chapters are when she's a very young girl. She almost kills her baby brother by accidentally singing him to sleep with a lullaby. So that's how she discovers that she has this ability to sing music into magic. Um, and unfortunately it's, it's an ability that is slightly, I wouldn't say illegal, but it is something she has to keep quiet. It's something she keeps hidden um, because it's not regulated. It's a, it's the type of magic that's not regulated by the colleges. So she kind of grows up in, you know, keeping this secret from both her father who does not approve of this and um, but she's being nurtured by her grandmother and her mother also had this ability, but, but it was never nurtured um, and it was suppressed. And that's, you know, part of the story that I don't want to give away. So it is the story of these three women 
Um, so it's for Lania, it's a coming of age story as she grows into her magic, as she grows into her uh, confidence as a with other things, including, you know, she learns swordplay, things like that. She goes off to become a page in her grandfather's court. The mother's story starts further back um, when she is en route to her wedding in in a foreign land and her and her party is is waylaid, ambushed, and everybody is killed except her. Um, that is the story of how she got out of that and um, and then how she met turned up two weeks later when everyone had presumed she was dead. And then we have the story of her of Elena's grandmother, who was a midwife and a Lazen Mira singer. They're like um, a nomadic people who fell in love with and married a prince. Um, and then because of politics was set aside and again, you know, disappeared from view. Um, and it's, it's her story of, of how her subtle manipulation, uh, the thing about her grandmother, is she has the sight, which is the ability to see the future. Unfortunately, it's not always clear. It's not always, uh, it, it, it's, it's not always direct and it's not reliable, but she is a manipulator and she is pulling the strings of, of fate throughout the whole novel. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. As you were describing these books, when I was, I was thinking Elena, if she can't sing because of the magic that's involved, it made me think that in a way it's like she's stifling her voice. Like she can't express herself. Do you think, am I, was that? That that does come later. Um, and that is a it it is a big theme in the last novel. So the okay. the novel which is coming out in November. Okay. Because she has not um um in the second book, it's not too much of a spoiler to say that she ends up um she ends up killing someone. Holy God. <laughs> um and that puts a stop to her singing for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. Now which one? Was it the very first one, Alenia's song Overture? Yes. One of them was an Amazon bestseller. Yes, that one was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, now as you're talking, I was just thinking, gosh, congratulations first. That's amazing. That is awesome. Thank you. But as the author, the author, I'm thinking, so then now you're coming out with book two and book three. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I do this. I put pressures on myself. But did you feel any pressure coming out with the second book, knowing that? No, because the second book was already written by the time. Okay. Yeah. And and the third book was mostly written as well. Okay. So they've been written, at least in some form, for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. And no, no pressure. Just, uh, it was just, it was very frustrating when, um, when Aria came out because it was right in the pandemic and it, it was, it was really hard to do any marketing and any, you know, any launching of it. So yeah, I've have, I better hopes and we kind of delayed, we, we've, um, we delayed Corral as well. 
um, despite my mother nagging me quite, <laughs> quite frequently, asking me when that book's coming out, um, because we just want it to be out in a time when it's actually possible to do in-person events and, and things like that. And that's only yeah. sort of happening now. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And I, I think back, God, I think back to that time, not that I want to think back about the pen like that time, but I remember for a good month, I stopped writing. And that was because I was at that time, I was working full time. And I would walk to and from work and from the house. And it was during those walks. That's when I thought of my story ideas. That's when I thought of the chapters. Mm -hmm. And once that walk stopped, it's, uh, I, I remember I was sitting there thinking, why haven't I written in a month? And mm -hmm. it, then it dawned on me. It's because you're working from home. And so then it was like, okay, you got to get yourself out walking somewhere. Cause that's where I think of the ideas. Right. Right. You know? Okay. Okay. Now you have said, write, even if it's bad writing and keep writing because it's like a muscle you need to train, be prepared to discard a lot of what you've written. That's okay. It's practice. And, uh, that made me think, it made me think of my, uh, our oldest daughter. She learned classical piano and she would practice. I, I, I think it was five to six days. I can't remember after supper. So she always practiced. And I never thought of writing as a muscle that you need to train. But, you know, then I started thinking writing. It's, do I want to say it's a talent? You know, but it's, it's, but even if I'm trying to make the connect, it just it made a connection for me. Cause I think of Ashley practicing, like she could play piano that, you know, she could. And so she practiced. So why not with writing, do the practice, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is <laughs> like, you, well, exactly. I mean, musicians don't just wake up and be able to perform a symphony on the first go. You have to practice. Yeah. And the thing about practicing writing is it means you have to throw out words, right? Yeah. And that's hard to do because you've committed the word to the page, whether it's, you know, physical page or electronic page. Once you've committed it, it feels like you should save it, but you really, there are so many words you're going to cut. You're going to cut as many words as you, as you publish in your career as an author. So getting used to just, Cutting words is is good habit. When I'm editing, I I have a file called uh, excised material. So I come along, and if I find a whole chunk of writing that's like this, just does not need to be in this novel, I cut it out and I paste it in this other document, yeah. just so it's there. So I haven't thrown it out. I can go back to it if I wanted. I have never ever gone and taken words out of excise material and put them back in a novel. I can guarantee you that, but it it's that safety net that says, that's okay. I've put it away. Those words are still there. They're not yeah. wasted, but they don't need to be on this page here. That's great um, advice. And, and yeah, I mean, write. I know that some people say you should write every day and, uh, you know, that's not always possible for every, for everybody. I don't write every day. I, I usually write, you know, four or five days a week, but not every, certainly not every day. It's something that you really, 
as you write more, you will get faster at writing. So I, I say NaNoWriMo is good if that's the sort of thing that motivates people. It's a day. If you do that for a month, you have a novel at the end. 60,000 is the bones of a good novel. So just, just do that. Just, just exercise that muscle. Even if it's just, even if you think it's garbage, it's probably not. There's probably gems in there, yeah. um, but you know, you can go through and you can edit and you can improve after the fact. Yeah. So what I do, it's uh, I have a section at the end of the manuscript. I just call extra. Mm-hmm. So it's stuff that I don't think I'll use or it's writing that I've taken, like you said, I've, I've copied and pasted paragraphs and I'm, cause I'm thinking, Hey, you don't need this, you know, and just, but I'll put it at the very end. I know at times I'll read a sentence and I'll think, okay, I like the sentence, but I think it can be in a better place. Yeah. So then that's when I'll take that sentence out of there and I'll, I'll, I'll like flag it, you know, cause I, mm-hmm. I think it have a, it has a, a more powerful effect somewhere else in the, in the, in the manuscript. But that's true. I, I, I think of all those paragraphs under that title extra, <laughs> which I haven't gone back to. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same as my excised material document. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have to talk about swordplay. I think this is so cool. How did you get involved? Um, and this is again, a very basic question. I was curious, how heavy are those swords? Not as heavy as you think. Okay. Um, a rapier, um, which you see I'm in my um, usual headshot. I have a rapier there. That one is is about two pounds. Okay. Um, uh, a long sword or a, a two-handed, you know, like a hand and a half sword, um, usually uh, two or three pounds. Okay. Not okay. not heavy at all. Now, it feels a lot heavier when you're holding it out at arm's length away from your body because of leverage, right? So that, you know, does take a lot of muscle training to um, to be able to to hold a sword out. Okay. So how did you get involved with it? Um, well, I did a little bit of classical fencing in university okay. um, and a little bit afterwards, but I didn't really like it that much. And I was actually researching for a novel. I was uh, researching for my novel, which I didn't go back to for a long time, which is my current work in progress um, set in 17th century France. So I had looked up 17th century rapier. And the first thing came up on the search was Academy Duello, which is a school here in Vancouver that teaches swordplay. Uh, so it's like, well, this is cool. And then I saw they were doing a demo at the PE. So I went and I tried that out at the PE and I got a and and saw that they had a free class, free trial class starting. So I uh, dragged my partner out to it. He wasn't convinced that he wanted to give up time on a Saturday morning, but uh, <laughs> I said, just try it. And uh, we loved it. Um, and that was in. 2008 and wow. well, I've been doing it ever since <laughs> yeah. Yeah. wow well I I get it I so get it because I think as an author you want to experience as much as you can 
like firsthand it firsthand what your characters are going through. Yes. So yeah. Oh, that's cool. So again, because I don't know much about it. Once you started it, did you find that this is um universal? That this sword play is universal? Like just were you like I I I yeah. I never well I I mean in many ways um you know different types of swords from around the world um have slightly different characteristics but there are very core things in which a sword is a sword is a sword it's a it's a long extension of your arm and it will behave in similar ways uh regardless of what type of sword it is or what um what martial tradition you're coming from so there's you know and you can apply what you know about swordplay to spear uh, and you can apply, you know, in fact, the, the manuscripts that we work from mostly where I teach um, in my school, Academy Cavallo, is, uh, is Fiore de Liberi. It's a, it's a um, medieval Italian manuscript. It's a fight book. It's teaching people how to fight. And he starts with unarmed. He starts with wrestling, grappling, and then he moves to dagger. And then you add in sword or spear, you know, and you add in, and it culminates in the mounted combat. And there's not a lot of pages on the mounted combat because you've learned all the principles you need to know with the unarmed and the dagger and the sword and the spear from the ground. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh, that sounds fascinating. Jeez. Okay. So, Jennifer. What are you working on now? What's next? You've been mentioning the the third book. The third book is ready. It is um, it is in ARC, so it's got advanced review copies available that we'll be sending out soon. So if there are reviewers out there listening, you would like an advanced review copy, um, get in touch with me, and I will I will arrange for one to be sent to you. Nice. Um, so, and then it'll be going through proofreading. Um, so it, it should be due out for November, mid-November. Okay. Um, what I am, what I'm writing at the moment, I'm, I found that there were characters in Elena's song that needed, that wanted to tell me their stories. So I found after I had, you know, after I'd sort of tied up Corral and sent it off to copy edits, um, there's a character in there named Guanan and you know she had a story to tell so I I did a short story that one appeared in um the summer the summer issue of pop literature uh Guanan's song and now I am working on a companion piece to that which is called Zara's song another character uh, and I think there will be a collection. So we will do a short story collection about these other characters. And then the other thing I'm working on intermittent in between this is the one I mentioned, which is set in 17th century France. So um, that's historical fiction. It's about a shepherdess turned spy um, in 17th century France. Uh, and there's lots of, there's lots of intrigue and, uh, much more sword fighting in this one than there is in the Elenia series. <laughs> but well, I'd I'd love to have you back and 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 talk about these books for sure. 
Oh, I'd love to come back. Good. Well, you know, as you were, you were mentioning about the other characters and their stories, you know, wanting to be heard. I've heard of that. I've heard of authors say that. And that hasn't happened to me, except for when I was doing rewrites on my current book, where I, I remember at one point I thought to myself, okay, I don't want to say I told myself to be careful, but it was like this other character who's a bit, oh, I don't want to say wild, but she's troubled. She's troubled. And she just started coming about. And I thought, whoa. And, and then this other character started coming, you know, and just, I, I thought, okay, remember whose story this is. And I, I, as you said, I'm thinking I'm going to have to do, I don't know whether it'll be a spinoff, but I, I have to tackle these other two characters, <laughs> their story, because yeah. it'll bug me, you know, yes. whether it sees the light of day, but it'll bug me because I know they're kind of, they're there. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Well, Jennifer, thank you. Um, anything you'd like to add that I didn't ask you or where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm, I'm at JM Landles on almost all the social media platforms. Um, uh, so, you know, Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, okay. I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> Me neither. <No. laughs> but pulp literature is on TikTok. So you can find pulp literature there. Okay. Uh, so, uh, at JM Landles and at pulp literature. Okay. Um, and then you can also find me uh, through the website, publiterature.com. Okay. This has been great. Thank you. Well, it's been lovely speaking with you. Good, good. Okay. Well, have a good day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye.